Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CivCast. I am your host, Kyle, joined by my co-host, as always, Dan. Hello, Dan. Good afternoon, Kyle. How are you on this lovely uh, November Sunday? Actually, the last Sunday in November. Well, I like, I think... The update from last week that I gave you it had been raining for about three consecutive weeks, and I think we had about ten minutes where it didn't rain this week, and I loved those ten minutes. I went and I went and did all my outside activities over the course of ten, fifteen minutes, and then by the time I got back in, it was pouring rain again, and it's pouring rain today. So, lovely. You know what that means? You have every excuse to sit around and play Civ Six. So you know, silver silver lining, right? Absolutely, you got to find a silver lining in all those clouds. And uh, one other thing, I mean, like I just said, so we just passed Thanksgiving here in the States. Um, so that was cool. Some time off of work. Sadly, not as much time as I would have liked to play Civ, but I did use a lot of the time in a very productive way. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, hint, hint that we launched our Patreon officially today. So we'll get to that in a minute. But just it really boggles my mind. I'm having a hard time believing that it's almost December. This means that we've had the game. We've had Civ 6 in our hands for over a month now. That came out October 21st. So I guess last week's episode would have been the official like one month marker. But it's just crazy to, to you know, think of all that weight, all that hype. It had been so long since we got our hands on a, a new iteration of Sid Meier's Civilization that to finally have Civ Six, it is awesome. And we have so, so, so much to talk about. Um, Dan, you have some cool ideas that um, maybe we can talk about that right now. We were just talking off air about doing a Civ of the Week, where we're going to do kind of a deep dive on each civilization. Um, this is kind of going to be towards the end of our show traditionally, and it probably about a 10 or so minute segment where we're just going to do a deep dive. So Dan, do you want to tell me maybe your, your inspirations for this idea that you came up with? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last week you uh, shared with us that email that Doug sent along where he talked about us wanting to get uh, a bit more maybe into the nitty gritty uh, strategic elements of the game. And, and admittedly, that's not something that um, I think we have spent a huge focus on because the game is new. So we've tried to cover a lot of bases. Um, in the few weeks that we've been working together here. So uh, the idea that Kyle and I had was that we would start getting into more strategic elements of each civilization, things like build orders, things like tech and civic pursuits, things like, um, I don't know if we're necessarily going to get into like the algebra and statistical math of, you know, the unit advantages and things oh, like that. On. But I mean, that's not... <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to go study math. Like, oh, come on, Dan. Oh man, a, a plus B equals religious victory. I don't know. Somehow, but somehow. <laughs> but we will talk about um, you know specific civs every week. We'll, we'll pick one out. Uh, we'll play. We'll play. Uh, you know, a, some some games that week with that civ, so that we're super familiar um, and up close with that civ. And then we'll try and give you guys more of like a, a real in-depth um, strategic breakdown of what we think of the, the advantages, disadvantages, play style, best victory conditions, and all of that noise for the Civ. So and I think it's a good plan. We think you guys will like it. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say to tack on to that, like we're also going to make sure or to tie in to some degree your historical minute every week to kind of be focused on that Civ that we're already discussing, the play styles of, you know, maybe we can... Um, kind of cater this to semi-focus around our CivCast challenge that we've got going on. So, you know, if we're asking you to play a certain Civ over the next two weeks, probably, hopefully, we will talk about that Civ 
um, as our deep dive there. You know, just just make everything line up so everyone can learn all about it. There's tons of civs that I haven't even looked at playing yet. I'm not even close to being ready to play them. Like, I'm still putzing around with some of the ones I've already been in with. Um, Germany and uh, Germany, England, and I think I was doing the Congo there for a bit. So this will be a really fun way to make sure we're doing the other sieves to really uh, deep dive into how you know their their strengths and things like that. So on the note of Doug's email that we received and um, the idea of min maxing, Dan, you did some outreach for us on behalf of the show, and you came across an awesome min maxer. Please correct me if I say his name wrong. But we've got Innocentius, uh, Innocentius um, from YouTube. He's going to be joining us next week on the show. Uh, that will be December 4th. So, Dan, you found his uh, YouTube channel and his Twitch. Um, you want to maybe talk about how you ended up getting him on board here or what kind of you know, drew you to his play style? Yeah, he's a guy who posted on Reddit. Uh, I don't know if those of you who frequent the Sid Meier Civ Reddit might have seen his post um, Innocentius69 is his username, and that's his Twitch uh, channel as well. And he posted on the Reddit that he was going to do something called the Daily Deity Challenge, where he, uh, where he every day went down in alphabetical order trying to win a game on Deity with each of the uh, civs in the game. He started with Catherine, um, and he went through this week. He went, uh, he, I know he had Gandhi, and he went for a religious victory. Uh, I know that he had. Uh, oh God, who else did he have? Who else is there in the in the order? I'm blanking. But um, he he all had sieves. all sieves. <laughs> all sieves. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, all of them. All the sieves. So I was watching his Twitch channel and I was interacting with him in Twitch chat. It's a really smart and savvy guy. Um, he's really fun too. It's fun listening to him. He, he he's chatty. He's got a lot to say. He's a smart guy, um, and he was really focused on the strategy strategic elements of uh, these different sieves, things like early build order, things like, uh, you know, uh, ways to maximize whatever the, the victory style you're going for is. So definite, definite min-maxing style. Um, and uh, the other thing, too, that I really liked about him is he takes chances. The other day, he's on deity, right? And the other day, he decided when he was playing Gandhi in India that he was going to go for a religious victory, which on deity is damn near impossible, yeah. right, Cal? Yeah, so he actually managed to uh, get Stonehenge on Deity, wow. which is impressive for those of you who play Deity. You're probably sitting there stunned hearing that, but he got it on turn 13. Um, and I was watching this live chat, and he was he was really fascinating to listen. To. He, everything worked out well for him on that role, um, and he'll talk to us a little bit about it next week, a little bit about why... Uh, he was actually able to pull that off and what some of these mitigating factors were that allowed him to do it. But um, it was crazy to watch. And he's a, he's a great guy. And I think that um, I think that you guys will really like him. And I think he'll have a lot of good stuff to, to talk about and a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah, a, a couple things with what you were just saying. Yes, first of all, I, I was watching his, um, his, his first video on France the other day. And I was, I, I really liked how he was a min-maxer, but not overly serious. You know, he was definitely willing to make those, uh, those hard calls and those, those chances like you were just talking about. So I thought that was awesome, first of all. 
Um, and just to recap here, it looks like his list online, he's done France, Egypt, Germany, India, and Sumeria so far. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Sumeria was just posted a day ago, so that was just yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. And then what else was I going to say about this? Um, Oh, I was going to say, if anyone is interested, if you have questions that you're just burning to have answered, please feel free to send those in, and we can try and ask him on the show. Go ahead and send those to civcastpodcast at gmail.com. I can't guarantee how much time who have with us next week. I'm assuming he'll be with us for most of the episode. Um, and I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what all we're going to discuss in our our, in our hour. But um, if you think of something that you'd really like to have answered by someone, it'd be a cool opportunity to send it in to us. We'll ask him on air and see if we can get you a good answer uh, to that question. And then let's see what else. Ooh, let's talk a bit about our CivCast challenge, Dan, because that has uh, been moving along. We've got a lot of people playing uh, the second version of it, which we released last week. Um, I will let you kind of run through those, those um, uh, maybe just recap the settings for them here in a second of what they're actually going to be doing. But I wanted to say that we're, we're starting to post that onto our Reddit uh, subreddit that we came up with. And that's definitely a huge thanks to the community. Um, our good friend Ricky uh, that we were talking about last week, HB Jelly, he is taking a stab at running our subreddit. It's very bare bones at this point. We I just gave him access to it not even 12 hours ago, probably something like that. But he's already <laughs> gone ahead and um, posted our leaderboard and such for the CivCast Challenge over there on Reddit. Um I'm wondering if maybe it was a little bit of a barrier. A lot of our people that were participating in the challenge weren't necessarily native Twitter users, so maybe we need to just kind of migrate our posting of it to a place that people are already active. And And we know that the Reddit community is um, a, a very, very welcoming place to Civ players. So we're going to work on that. Dan, would you like to remind everyone what they're actually competing for this week, what they're actually competing as? This week's CivCast Challenge, for those of you guys who might be new to the show or might have missed the first one, we are rolling out, um, right now it's every two weeks, we're just rolling out um, a specific challenge to get you guys to try a specific victory condition with a with a Civ and a leader on a map and that we have kind of determined to be a, a you know a fun and exciting challenge. So for these two weeks here, um, you're playing as Scythia and Tamiris. You are playing on Inland Sea as your map, playing on a small map size. So with, uh, I think that's five AI uh, on Emperor difficulty. Cause we're not, I mean, last, the last one we did seemed to, it was on Emperor and it seemed to be, you know, kind of the right, the right blend there. I don't think we're quite at the point where we could be on deity or really even immortal for everyone. We're trying to keep it <laughs> yep. accessible. Um, and then your victory kicked. Just oh, everywhere man. in Civ. Just everywhere. Oh. It's embarrassing. We need to. We really need to talk min-maxing next week. I need a lesson. Oh, I hear you, man. Me too. And then your your victory type in this uh, this Civcast challenge is religion, and you'd think that religion with Scythia with the Kurgans and the little bit of a bonus they get, and it would be easy. Man, even on Emperor, I am having a hell of a time getting a great profit. Yeah, I. I it's. I don't know. There's something about. Um, 
Oh, well, you know, this is just us kind of kind of BSing here for a second, Dan. I have to tell you that last week or the week before, we were talking about how we were frequent re-rollers in previous games of uh, like Civ Five because of the load time being so intense as it was. But so, you know, you'd press next turn and when you're in late game, it would take, you know, a minute plus just to load mm-hmm. some quick pieces moving across the board. Well, I found um, there was actually a Reddit post. I hope I didn't mention this on the show already, but there was a Reddit post of people discussing this kind of issue that they have being frequent re-rollers. I thought it was so funny because it was just like this little self-help group within the subreddit. Um, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is me. And everyone was <laughs> saying, you know, I, I just am trying to get the perfect start, the absolute perfect start. Or, uh, I, you know, I'll get so many turns in the game and realize I didn't actually plan out my city the right way. And I just thought it was really funny that I was not alone, that there are other people out there commiserating of why they keep restarting the game. I feel like this is the super like top reason why I need to be watching more playthrough videos on uh, you know Twitch and, and YouTube. I need to start looking at the long game a little bit more and uh, plotting a better start. Well, you gotta really like, and I think that's that's something that I've always experienced in Civ. You gotta really like all of the conditions surrounding your game to get really deep into it because I know, and I'm not. I'm not a person with like an you know an attention deficit thing or anything like that. I can I can pay attention. I can focus. Mm-hmm. I don't have focus issues, but I find that if I'm in a game, even if I get an outstanding start, if something goes wrong, like say I'm I'm attacking um, and I send all my military to a, a big battle in the east, and then all of a sudden barbarians start um, stomping all over my city and pillaging all my tiles and stuff, I just get so pissed off that I just re-roll at this point, and I feel I feel like that is a really kind of uh, really I don't, I don't know childish way of doing it because it prevents me from seeing some of the outstanding stuff they have in like the, you know, the modern era, the industrial era, the atomic era and beyond, I I don't get to see, I don't get to do, you know, um, flight. I I don't get to, I don't get to deal with aircraft. I've had one Civ six game so far where I've actually built a plane and that, and I I played a lot, like I played a lot of Mm -hmm. games and (laughs) that, that sucks. Like I am, super familiar with the tech and civics trees at the start of the game. I could tell you exactly what they blend into, but I couldn't even tell you some of the civics or some of the techs that come later in the game. You're making me feel very good about myself because <sighs> we're going to use this as our like self-help moment on the show. If anyone knows Absolutely. any, like uh, any, anyone that can come on the show and diagnose us and tell us what's, what's going on in our heads, it would be fascinating to hear. But you know, I I'm feeling the exact same way and I'm feeling it, you know, I know this is a civ focused podcast, but I'm feeling it across a lot of different, different games you you kind of i think started to use the word almost like childish or like you know you're you're kind of being flippant with it and and restarting mm-hmm. and i am 100 with you like i scold myself in my head like i will just get to a point oh i hope i'm i'm this is so on the tip of my tongue but i'm not gonna remember it exactly i was doing something like you were saying i i had made a good start. I liked what was happening. Things were good, good, good until I had like a minor inconvenience. I can't remember if it was like a barbarian, like pillaging something or attacking a city. 
It was so minor and it happened the other night and I was just like, you know what? It's 11 o'clock at night. Do I really feel like trying to like fight my way out of this hole or, you know, I'm just going to quit the game for the night? Like that, no biggie, no stress. And <laughs> I don't know. I think it is kind of preventing me from getting to the end game. And it's totally something within myself. Um, I, I tried to play a little bit of Skyrim the other night too. And I was like, you know, this isn't exactly what I want to be doing right now. So I'm just going to quit and kind of not play it. I don't mm -hmm. know what that is. I don't know if we're at like this weird saturation point in the video game market where we're just like, well, we'll just, you know, keep trying until we get what we want. Or I don't know how that works, but it's really fascinating. Glad to hear I'm not alone. And it's us getting old, Kyle. Is That's that what it? it? Is, man. We're getting old. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we're getting to the point where if we don't, if a game doesn't serve the utility we need it to serve, which is to interest us and to be a fun escape from our day-to-day -day tedium then we uh we put it down and that's i think that's just a i know for me i feel like because i don't have as much time to game as yeah. i used to man uh, i just don't man and damn kids get like, off my lawn i know exactly yeah so i feel like take your like vigi games somewhere else i don't exactly. have time for these Exactly. You and your true. wireless controllers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and those interwebs. But it's, yeah. it, you, you got a point, though. You know, I used to have more time to play. I mean, before I got into college and such, I, I had all the time in the world to commit to video games. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that is just a natural act to growing up. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I need to really dedicate myself a bit more. Um, and, and so that's something, maybe I'll keep checking back on this on the show and I can, I can tell you how many games I've actually made planes in because I really think I'm at about the same level as you. I think I might've had one to two games where I actually got to building planes and then I was like, this is cool, but I need to reroll. <laughs> Absolutely. We got to hold each other accountable, my friend. That's what let's, we have to do. Let's do it. And let's, let's. Yeah transition this let's we got a lot to talk about on this episode a lot of cool stuff uh i want to talk about our patreon next and then we'll we'll keep on rolling here but super excited we just launched our first patreon for civcast um this is m my first patreon to create period and if anyone is unfamiliar with patreon.com what it is is it is a website and a handy tool that lets listeners subscribers things like that it lets you donate uh, donate or subscribe to a show, however you'd like to word it. But you give money on a monthly basis, and it allows us to kind of upgrade the framework of the network and give you guys higher quality shows. So we created a bunch of tiers. Dan and I worked a little bit back and forth, like vetting these ideas. And uh, you can go over to patreon.com backslash Civcast. Of course, there's going to be links to this on our Twitter and on the main site. Um, but if you head over to patreon.com backslash Civcast, you're going to see our page. It is a work of progress. I'm really happy with where it sits right now, but it's something that we will probably tweak as we get people subscribing and things like that, just because we're going to be understanding it for the first time. This is our first real, you know, we're testing our foot in the water here. Um, really cool rewards, though. We want to get people involved. So there's things like, you know, a, a subscription level. You're going to get Patreon behind-the-scenes content. So um, just little things here and there. are going to try and post it up to the Patreon feed. Um, there's going to be access to the Discord channel here where you're welcome to come on. You're welcome to play games with your friends. You're welcome to play in some uh, matches with us, chat with us about the show. We've got some cool things like uh, getting your name on every single episode here. You'll get a call out at the end of the show, as well as one of our upper tiers is going to be joining an advisory board, which I'm super excited about this idea. And it's going to be something that's going to evolve over time. But um, this is something that a lot of other Patreons do, and it's 
always hooked me is the idea of having this kind of group that can is really dedicated to the show. We have uh, people that have, you know, made themselves really well known to the show by emailing in a lot or tweeting us all the time. And, you know, something like this, an advisory board where you can kind of steer the conversation that we're having. Civ is one of those games where we could spend forever just talking to you about, oh, I don't know, the religious system, or we could talk trade routes for a couple episodes if we so chose. But, you know, maybe you don't want to hear that. Maybe you don't want to hear 20 20 (laughs) consecutive episodes solely about trade routes. Well, that's why you can join the advisory board. See how that's also a a little threat thrown in there, Dan? It's like if they don't subscribe, then... Here you go. Um, Guys, we will talk about the benefits of sending production within your within your own sieve for four straight episodes if you don't sign up. The sad truth is I really need someone to do that show, and then I need to listen to it and take every word of advice from it because... It- Innocentius is good with that, man. He'll he'll help you out with that next week. He'll One help week. us all out with that. One week. One week. So December 4th, everyone, uh, you're going to yep. hear Innocentius talk to us all about that. Uh, but no, I, I will wrap up our little spiel here on the Patreon um, by saying that we have some cool stretch goals in mind. Um, the first one being that we're going to start broadcasting the show live um, on Mixler, which is a cool little website that lets you... It acts like live radio. I mean, you can pull it up very easily on your mobile phone, etc. It's just a, an audio player that has a very nice integrated chat room, so you'll be able to chat back and forth with us while the show is going on. Maybe you can even correct us if we happen to make the occasional blunder or two and credit the wrong sieve with something, but... Um yeah, please please join into there if we get to that level. And uh, the I think the the ultimate top tier goal that we're looking to do is we're looking to add an extra kind of episode per month, and that's going to be on top of little like Patreon behind the scenes, me doing a little episode just talking about the state of the show. We're going to try and add a full extra episode to the show per month, um, but that's a little bit down the line. So if you want to get us to that point, if you think you can help out, you know, even for the 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 cost of a cup of coffee per month. Go ahead and uh, help us out. Become a patron. patron. And uh, as a reminder, that's patreon.com backslash Civcast. Okay, Dan, we have gotten through a bunch of news. We've talked about our Civcast challenge. We talked about the Patreon. We talked about Incentius coming on next week. I think that uh, unless I'm missing anything, we are ready to dive in and talk a little bit about our Civ of the Week sort of deep dive thing. We're going to today talk a little bit about Scavia and Germany. Um, we kind of talked a bit about this last week, but we just want to put some finishing touches on it. Um, so I wanted to make a correction, if I could start, Dan, by Go saying that last week we were talking about uh, underrated civilizations um, per that person's list on Reddit. That name is escaping me at the moment, but they had put Germany towards the top of the list. And we spouted out just off the top of our heads some reasons why we thought Germany could be up there. And one thing that uh, I, I forgot to mention on the show, and it wasn't until I started playing a game as Germany that I remembered they get a bonus military card slot. So when it comes to civics, which we're also going to talk a bit more in detail here, but um, when it comes to that, you're getting a whole another military bonus for Germany. So that's on top of their their uh, you know bonus to them attacking city states. That's on top of them getting the Hansa special um, industrial district, which adds great engineer points. That's on top of their them having U boats and things like that. I have to say, I played a quick game as Germany where we were in the Inland Sea map, and I was pretty blown away um, realizing that I was having the economic, or the, I'm sorry, having that bonus military slot. Just gave me a whole different um, 
kind of angle to play with them. I just didn't realize it. Uh, so you have not played a game as Germany yet, is that right? No, and I still haven't even seen them in a game. They're the one sieve that has evaded me completely. That makes me curious to like who I have not seen yet. Um, that's an interesting uh, question. Yeah, I mean, it's because I remember in Brave New World, um, you know, because there's so many sieves, you could go a long time. Sieve, like I remember, I went like probably a solid year playing that game without ever seeing England. <laughs> wow. I saw England one day, and I was like, "Oh, you know, crap! I forgot you were in the game." But yeah, for me, I haven't seen I haven't seen Frederick Barbarossa. I haven't seen Germany in any of my games. See a lot of um, see a lot of them on uh, Twitch and and on Let's Plays and stuff like that. But I haven't, um, so I am not altogether familiar with them. I have done some reading on them and your chat about them last week. Um, and our discussion about how they are, you know, you know, roundly seen as the strongest sieve in the game. So I, you know, that, that, that definitely caught my attention. And when I look into it, when we talk about it, I can understand why um, the city state attacking plus seven combat strength is, is super powerful. If you're going for domination, um, the added military policy slot is, is always keen. And I always feel like that synergy between a production based sieve and a strong military makes you pretty much unstoppable in any Civ game that I've seen. Well, I have a quick question for you because you brought up, you know, you re-mentioned the, um, the, the city-state attack bonus. Um, mm. Is that something you've done yet? Have you laid siege to a, a, a city-state or have you had any, like, interest in doing so? Or are you treating them as, like, super important potential allies? No, I've laid siege to them for sure. When I was uh, doing my domination game, when I was trying the first Civcast challenge with Brazil... Uh, which was domination victory, I I took over. I think Jerusalem was on my doorstep. And so I, I took them over pretty quick. They're, uh, I want to say they're a military-based a military city-state, I believe. Um, so I've, I've definitely uh, gotten some fights with city-states. I always find that city-state maintenance is a, just a huge pain in the butt after you conquer them. Um, and I feel like they just don't give you a lot if you actually conquer them and, and annex them into your empire. So I tend to just try and, you know, interact with them diplomatically because I find their diplomatic bonuses to be, you know, pretty, pretty sound and pretty beneficial. But there's some situations, man, where they're just in the way and you just, you got to run them over. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't really know. I want a happy medium where, like, taking them over gives you um, some sort of bonus like you would get through diplomacy. Because those diplomacy bonuses, being their suzerain, has some really, really effective bonuses there. I mean, oh yeah, I've been saying forever that Lisbon is one of my favorites because it, it prevents your uh, traders from being plundered on ocean tiles, which... I have okay, so I'm not sure if it's because I'm friends with Lisbon more these days than like you know obviously in Civ Five that wasn't a thing. But back in Civ Five, I felt like my trade routes got plundered all of the time. But I have not actually noticed that to happen so much in Civ Six. Um, that could be the fact that I'm always befriending them and you know always having such good relations. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Destroying city-states just always kind of turns me off in that way because I feel like I'm ruining something that could be good down the line. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm really wanting more flexibility still with uh, how we gain those influence points to get our um, our uh, people we send, the, the diplomat sort of thing. I'm drawing a blank on the specific naming for that. Um, envoys? 
Uh, Convoys, yeah. yeah. There we go. Uh, you know, what's that game we're talking about? Civ here? Something like that? Uh, the Envoy system. I just, I wish it were a bit more flexible as to how you get them. Like, I know you can get some bonus ones through researching, you know, leaf culture technologies, ones that are off to the side. But, um, or I should say civics, geez. Um, but I, I don't know. That system's not exactly where I want it to be, but I don't find that steamrolling them is the solution either. No. And I think that it's like we talked about, I think it was two podcasts ago where we talked about diplomacy likely being an evolving thing in this game as it goes along Mm -hmm. and likely being the focus, a a stronger diplomatic system and a more comprehensive one likely as a focus for an expansion um, or something to that effect. But I do, I do love um, the added complexity they currently have with city states. I think it's, I think it's great. I know that the other day when I'm, and uh, full disclosure, I'm, I'm going for the Civcast challenge right now. So I was playing a, a religious play with uh, Scythia and with Tamiris, and so I was about 100 turns in or so. And uh, the city state of Laventa, which is a religious mm-hmm. city state, was right on my doorstep. And of course, because they were religious, I, I was really buttering them up. Um, and I ended up being their suzerain, and their bonus is that builders can make those colossal head improvements. Oh yeah, which is the tile improvement that gives you plus two faith. And I remember looking at that, and being like, "This is freaking cool!" Like I, I started putting those down right in any kind of free space that I would have. Whereas before, I would put kurgans, and kurgans only um, would give plus one faith unless adjacent to a pasture. So I could do that next to a pastor. I could put the Kurgans down. And then I could also put these new colossal head improvements down in any area where I had blank space and, you know, if I didn't need a farm. So I thought I thought that was really cool. I thought that added another element. And it's all about, to me, and I know to you, it's all about adding these different layers of complexity to it. And I like it. I do agree with you that... Um, it does feel like 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 a half finished system currently because mm-hmm. diplomacy doesn't really feel like it's it's emphasized all that strongly. Whether it's diplomacy between you and city states or you and other civs, and that's fine because you know it's, it's it's an evolving thing. It's a it's a living being, if you will. So they will probably um, they'll probably find ways to focus on that in the future. But as it stands right now, I really like the suzerain bonuses. Um, I like that you know. Uh, although I do find the the triggers that they do, like when they when they ask you for uh, for specific tasks, mm-hmm. I find them to be a little repetitive and a little kind of silly. Oh. Like there'll be ones that don't really make sense, like Levento, which is a religious city state, will want you to get a great merchant or something like that. Like I feel like they should be um, tasks that uh, synergize with the specific city state. But I'm quibbling there. I think overall, I like the system. I do feel it needs more focus and it needs to evolve. But um, as with most things in this game, they have really good fundamental uh, structure for it down. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, to go back and quote Firaxis from earlier in their their press cycle for Civ Six, they were saying, you know, to really maximize that kind of World Congress sort of thing, the diplomacy system in general, it really helps them to see how players are already interacting with endgame content. So, you know, the big when you actually get to the world stage and everyone's interacting together in the final, you know, steps of the information era, that's the sort of stuff that they need to see and analyze before they go ahead and just start implementing, you know, world congresses and things like that it's really well you know absolutely and you know what kyle then we should actually try getting to the information era and the modern era so we about with that right yeah we're kind of we're not we're not 
we're not the best when it comes to giving them that info, unless they want to see like first 30 turn build orders. We're, we're crazy good with that. Can I maybe interject and say that that could also be a little bit of the reason why I maybe not rushing to end game so much because I know that there's not like a next expansive system once you get there. In fact, mm. there's, uh, I'm, I'm now just kind of digging in deeper on myself mentally, uh, looking pretty introspectively here, but maybe <laughs> I'm a bit, I mean, the fact that we talked about there's no um, there's no future tech in this game to the sense of like you're not getting giant death robots or you're not getting any of those special ops units that you had in you know Civ Five. I'm wondering if that's part of the reason I'm not just rushing straight to the end because I know that there's really not a big immersive system there for you. You know, once you get to the end, you are at the end. There will be no additional units. You know, you're just going to end up with your last tanks and things like that, and you're just going to, you know, battle head on. And one could argue that that's a perfectly fine way to play Civ, and, and I agree, it, it is. But, you know, that... that um the World Congress just gave you different options that you could really kind of just almost bully other city or other states at the end of the game. You know, if, if you're you've been having an arch nemesis the whole time, it's just been yeah. harassing you. You know, you can uh, you could uh, embargo them, and so no one can trade, and then that kind of screws them in that sense. And I miss that system, and I'm very excited for it to come back. Um, as this modding community picks up too, I'm curious to see what they come out with because. Uh, there's some interesting stuff already going on there. I'm just hearing that people are really eager to get those tolls um, from Firaxis that that uh, the toll kit needed, and then they can get expansive with the mods. Um, but we kind of tangented a little bit, which is fine because we have the time <laughs> to do fine. that on the show. I mean, yeah. I mean this is uh, that's what we're here for is just to talk about all the random Civ thoughts that come to your mind. But do you maybe want to do your little touch of uh, Civ of the Week deep dive? Yeah, well, I wanted to talk a bit more about Scythia and specifically what I've seen and noticed and really started to appreciate with them in this play because I'm trying to do this religious victory here for the Civcast Challenge, and I am pretty soundly failing, to be completely honest with you. Um, it is damn near impossible for me to get a great profit right now. I don't know if it has something to do with the fact that I'm just my early build order is off. Um, I did get some tips from our friend Innocentius the other day about, you know, harvesting for early production, harvesting things like woods and stone for early production to maybe try and bump up your speed. If you're, if you're building something like Stonehenge or you're building um, some really necessary, um, you know, units or buildings for a religious victory. But I really like the way they have designed Scythia. I think that the Saka Horse Archer is a great unit. It's a great substitute um, Horse Archer unit. The fact that you get a second one when you spawn one mm -hmm. is... I thought, You know what, man? I thought it would be OP, but the Saka Horse Archer takes a lot to, to build. It, it, has, it has a high oh, uh, production cost. Got it. So... Even, even if you're pumping out a high production city on normal in the time when you're kind of in the wheelhouse, you still have to usually wait between like, you know, seven to 12 turns before the Sack of Horse Archer comes out. So if you're getting attacked, you can't just spam a Sack of Horse Archer, well, two because of the ability. You can't spam two in like, you know, two or three turns. It, it's something you need to conscientiously plan for. So that's great. The Kurgan... Um, Given you plus one faith, and I think it's plus one, not gold, I believe. And then plus two faith if adjacent to a pasture is really cool. 
um, because the start bias for Scythia allows you to start near a lot of pastures. Like in uh, the game I'm playing right now that I've actually decided to stick with, I spawned my first city is like right on top of two pastures. So that's been really cool. I've kind of built like a... Um, like a encircling kind of set of Kurgans and all of the hexes around <laughs> these pastures. It looks kind of cool. I have noticed that later on it does hurt you a bit because um, you know you can't uh, you can't use those spaces to start spamming your farms because obviously people like right. having farms down there now for the uh, plus five, 0.5 housing and obviously the food. So you do kind of run into a housing shortage and you do kind of run into a bit of a food shortage in the, the mid game, sort of in the medieval era, I've noticed, or at least in my plays, I haven't found a way to compensate for that yet. So um, Scythia requires a lot of um, logistics and city planning. And I think that that's great. I, I think that for Scythia, I think people... People approach it like it's a fait accompli that you need to, you know, be aggressive early game because of the sack of horse archer and stuff like that. I have not been aggressive with them. Mm -hmm. um, I've been super defensive. Uh, I've been trying to work diplomatically towards <laughs> diplomatically <laughs> towards solutions with people on my doorstep, um, like Philip and uh, from oh. Spain and uh, Pedro the Second on my doorstep, who are pretty hands off civs um, in general. But oh, I've just up. found. Yeah. Well, if you're not playing a if you're not water-based game, he's pretty hands-off. Yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, but um I have found that I really like Scythia and to be honest, I didn't think I would because I've not traditionally liked these early game domination peaking civs mm -hmm. like um I remember from Civ 5 the ones that would do that were like um who were the ones that would do that? Well, well not uh, not the, it wasn't the Congo in Civ 5. Who was the, oh, they had the um, Zulu in there. The Zulu. Yeah, and you had your Zulu rushes in the early game. Right, and the Aztec, I think, had yeah. their Jaguar warrior or something like that. Um, yeah, and the Aztecs are still an early game domination. I've traditionally not liked that in a Civ. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really suit my style. Uh, but either. Yeah, but I have liked that um, they've kind of given, they've given Scythia another way to go with this kind of religious play. I feel like religion is their cup big type. And I think that that is, um, I think that's fantastic. I think that it synergizes really well with their, uh, you know, their buildings and their abilities and all that. And I've really enjoyed them. And I would, I would love to hear from someone who maybe has played a full game through a Scythia to see if maybe they die out later on when their, um, when their combat strength bonuses um, and the Kurgan becomes useless and the Sakahor charge is useless. I'd be curious to hear if other people have had um, similar experiences. I don't know. Have you have you had a chance to play them, Kyle? I don't think I have. Um, I she's always in my game. Uh, mm -hmm. It would seem, at least, she's always. Uh, well, actually, I want to add a weird note. She was in this game, but uh, this is totally relevant to all the civs that we've discussed. I played one the other day as um, I think I started it quickly as Germany. And uh, I want to say Brazil. Yeah, it was Brazil and the Congo were next to me. And they really, I think randomly, I don't know if there was some hidden agenda working. I hadn't even gotten to that point. We were in like the ancient era still. But they both declared war on me out of the blue, which I found to be kind of weird. I don't know if that's a bug or something like that. But 
I had these two guys just declare war on me um, from early on in the game. And of course, Scythia was there uh, threatening me the entire time. But I'm not really sure why they had done that. I don't know what the motivations were. I'm surprised that she didn't jump on board, too. I mean, if Brazil and the Congo are going to go to war with me, why are you not attacking me? Um, but she should be attacking them, though, in that instance. Because I guess. Help. Yeah, well, no, no kidding. But her leader agenda is that she dislikes civilizations who make surprise declarations of war. So she should be, like, if the AI was was acting properly there, she should come to your defense, kind of, and be like, well, screw you, Pedro, and go after him or go after the Congo or something like that. I think that what we just learned is more AIs need to come to my defense and clean up my mess mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I sure as heck can't be expected to do it. So <laughs> I need someone to ride in on their horse archer, uh, well, I can't even say chariot, but ride in with your horse archers and save the day for me. I don't know. That seem, it seems to me it, it felt like such a bug or something like that. Neither of them really did anything. They never even got close to my empire. But um, who? Oh, the Congo took uh, Pedro's capital, which was super weird. I mean, we're talking like early game. I get it makes sense for him, uh, for the Congo, having his unique unit then. But it was a really weird play, uh, play out. And I don't really think I, I didn't stick with that game for very long. I was just so kind of flabbergasted by what was happening in front of me. But uh, Skadia there, I need to give her a shot because she's actually one of those civs that I want to play. Um, Gorga was was interesting me over this weekend as well. I was going to play a game as her, but I never really got around to it. I need to I need to get out of my bubble and start expanding and seeing these uh, these civs and taking advantage of their bonuses to a whole different yeah. degree. Yeah. I agree. If only so that we can, uh, if only so that we can, you know, give, give people more insight. Cause I know that for me, I mean, I focus, I think we've talked about this in the past. I focus my favorite victory type being science. I focus on more peaceful games. So I've really tried to get out there yeah. and work different victory types lately, whether it's a domination type or a religious type. I still, you can't sell me on a culture victory, man. I still don't. I still don't enjoy going for a culture victory, although I appreciate that they've evolved the system in, in Civ 6 and it's a better system. It's just, it's not, it's not my jam. And the next Civ cast challenge is going to be culture victory based. So I will try it, but it's just, it's just not something that, that I enjoy doing particularly. Well, let's take a minute and talk about that for a sec. Cause I know you'd brought this up before we started recording. You wanted to talk a little bit about the tech tree and the civics tree. I thought maybe we could have, so, so we're going to do deeper dives going forward of each civilization. This was just kind of a, a tack on from last week and a little bit of a preview of what we're going to do. Obviously we are going to play the civilizations that we're going to talk about and advance the mm -hmm. show, but just to do that quick little recap there. Um, I want to hear your thoughts and if you had anything specific to call out, but what are your thoughts on this civics tree and tech tree so far? Are you liking the new system? I mean, the, the, the tech tree has stayed a bit from Civ 5, but as you know, as you know very well, the civics tree is a total overhaul. Yeah, I think that we'll start with the tech tree. I think that the Eureka bonus and the additions of that have fundamentally altered the way that I actually approach getting technology and science mm -hmm. in this game because I find myself focusing on whichever tech, in a lot of cases and sometimes to my detriment, focusing on whichever technology I, in that moment, have a Eureka bonus for. So, whereas in the past, you would just beeline for something and uh -huh. nothing would really change your approach to it. Um, 
I feel like the addition of Eureka bonuses almost draws you instinctively to go for that because in your mind you reconcile that, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't really need, um, you know, celestial navigation necessarily, but, you know, it's, it's only going to take me four or five turns, so I may as well do that. And then that gives you time to maybe complete, I don't know, um, the, the building of a pasture for horseback mm -hmm. riding or something like that. So you're like, that adds a different kind of strategic element. Um, to the tech tree. And I like it on one hand. On the other hand, it can be a bit, um, not distracting, but it could, it could be a bit misleading. It, it could walk sure. you down. It could walk you down a path that doesn't really benefit you. And so it requires, I guess, a lot of restraint. Um, and the other thing That's I wanted to talk true. about with the tech tree, and it's kind of a minor quibble. I don't remember in Civ Five being able to go this deep down a particular like um, arm of the tree. Like it, you can go really, really far into like um, you know, say the naval aspects, or really, really far into those texts that are along the bottom that are more um, about you know, uh, you know, military engineering and stuff right. like that. Before circling back, like I think that I got to well i certainly got out of the ancient era and into the classical area one game without um you know circling back and and researching things like uh sailing or uh you know masonry so here i am getting uh whatever getting i can't remember getting getting horseback riding or getting construction or engineering or stirrups or something like that when I haven't researched a fundamental technology, I don't know. I don't remember that being that way in Civ Five. I'm curious if you've had the same kind of experience. No, it's funny because um, I think that actually before Civ launched, I think I might have taken some time to talk about this on the, on the show from a very you know hands off perspective at the time. So interesting to come back to it now that we've been able to play. Um, I thought that was very very interesting watching people's playthroughs. Like I said, pregame where I was noticing that they could go very deep into exactly like you said, the naval tradition sort of stuff, like where, whether it's, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on all the names, but like you said, celestial navigation and you know, all those different shipbuilding, things you. like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Shipbuilding that word. Yeah. Um, yeah. but really though, all these different, uh, these different naval ones were very separate from the primary tree. And mm -hmm. again, um, you could also see, like you were saying, with the horseback riding that leads to production and things like that, like you could go, you can go pretty, um, pretty deep into this tree and not wide. And I think that that's part of where my brain's having a little bit of some cognitive dissonance in a way of like, what should I be doing now versus later? It's like, mm -hmm. you're right. You know, the, the Eurekas that are, are, are popped and ready to go, they're very tantalizing to go and take them because well hey, hey it's only four turns mm -hmm. during those four turns i can be building that next thing that does the next eureka etc cetera, etc cetera. but like you perfectly said that's not always the key to success um i i like the idea of being able to go very deep into a tree like so i'm a fan as someone that wants to play or is very in the mood to play is like a traditional english navy sort of thing like that sort of colonial world dominance by sea approach um, I'm 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 digging the the ability to go really deep into a tree, but it's also a little bit detrimental. I feel because the naval bonuses, or I, I should say the naval techs, I found a little bit of an issue when you go deep into that. It feels to me like you're sacrificing a lot of other very important tech 
rocks and the rest of the tree. Meaning, I think I feel like the navel tree is weighted very deep. Like, you have to go deep into the tree to get anything. Like, even to get yeah. shipbuilding to, to embark on a different continent. If you want to rush for that, which I think you should be doing in a way if you're going to be a naval dominance sieve, uh, you're you're kind of really neglecting your ground troops. And that's not a great trade-off because I just don't think currently that the t- naval techs have enough like oomph behind them. I don't think they have enough power or unique units or anything like that that really – maybe justifies that whole draw down that specific tree. Like, I love the concept. I'm just not sure if the numbers are tweaked correctly at the moment for me to feel like I'm getting the appropriate bonus out of it. I might be going no, a little I bit th- too deep in this, but just thoughts. No, I, no, I think, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's super relevant what you're saying though. I think that, you know, Navy has always been traditionally specifically Navy techs in this game. It's always been a really specialized tree. It's always been really situational mm-hmm. and it's always been really straight line, right? Usually you have one or two per era and they require no, you know, hanger on text to research in advance really. Right. So you can go and in this game, it's really no different. I mean, you go sailing, Right, and then you go straight into celestial navigation, mm-hmm. um, and then you go. I think I think you skip an era of ship stuff. I'm yeah, there's sure you a do. long, like, awkward gap in there, mm-hmm. which I don't understand exactly, but yeah. No, but then you get cartography and square rigging in Renaissance. Um, I'm just looking at the text right now, and then again you skip, and then in the modern era, it's kind of supplanted by flight and everything like that. Right. So, you know, it's it's. It's a function of the way they've they've set it up, and I appreciate it because it allows you to specialize. It allows you to focus. But like you're saying, and like I've observed in my games, I mean, I'm I, I'm smart enough to know. At least I think I am. I'm smart <laughs> enough to know that uh, you know I shouldn't be go you know beelining for whatever square rigging or beelining for. Uh, you know, education that I should you know spread out to make sure that I have all my bases covered, but. It, it, it just feels so tempting sometimes with the combination of the Eureka bonuses and the fact that this game, more so than I remember in Civ Five, allows you to do that beelining in a really deep way. Yeah, I, I think that um, maybe something that would be very interesting, and again, I always throw this back to an idea for the modding community because I feel like that's where you're going to get these changes, changes the fastest or quickest. But um, I just don't think that Navy has ever really stacked up against the raw power of, like, ground military units in Civ. So I feel like that's maybe where I – th- I think how you'd worded it was a really great uh, springboard to this thought is that, you know, if they were going to be treated as equals, if you were going to treat the Army and the Navy as equals in Civ Six, I think that would totally justify this idea of of going deep because I love it. I love – I just – I like the idea of commitment in a game like this. But I just don't think that it really helps itself. I think it hurts itself by by asking you to go deep into the Navy, but also knowing that your Navy is so situational. I don't think it can really justify that beelining, which is sad because I kind of want to beeline for that reason. Now, I, I, I don't know if this would be like an overpowered sort of thing, but it would be interesting. They're making the red coats in Civ Six to be a very strong... Um, naval deployment sort of unit. Like they get a bonus when when going from, I think they, they don't lose a movement when they go from uh, ocean and they embark onto land or something like that. And then they get a bonus fighting on different continents. It would be interesting to see their tech be moved maybe more adjacent to the naval tree. Like that would be cool and allow you to kind of like 
double use these sort of texts. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's too big of a separation between your army and your navy, and it just doesn't seem to complement each other well enough now. And again, that could just be me asking for my own sieves of choice to get buffed instead of you know nerfed or something. But I think it's an interesting kind of discussion to have is that, you know, the more that we're able to go deep, are the trees that we go deep on, are they actually worth the value of of commitment in that time and space? No, absolutely. And I think that the civics, like briefly here onto the, the civics tree, I think that they've been a lot more restrained with the civics tree. Mm-hmm. I know that like everyone naturally goes hard towards political philosophy because you want to be able to adopt your first government style. Right. Um, and then I know that you know, in order to get to political philosophy, you need to finish all of the ancient era civics, right? You yep. need to finish everything, mysticism, early empire, state workforce, military tradition, foreign trade, craftsmanship. You need to finish them all. And then I think right after political philosophy, you have two options. You can go games and rec, or you can go drama and poetry. And then from that, it's a very small kind of evolution. So I think that the way that they've done civics probably because there's there's a lot, you know, there's fewer of them, obviously, than mm-hmm. the text, but the way they've done civics is in a more restrained way, and it allows you to, um, you know, it doesn't mislead you, I guess. It allows you to still, you know, stylistically focus on the way you are playing, but without sacrificing, you know, way too much in terms of um, another style or another uh, approach, if you will. Yeah, I I'm a, I'm a I I like this. I, I think it's interesting that the the civics tree actually can bring in some of your unique units and things like that. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot to be said about this new way of doing it. I'm finding the civics tree to be a lot more engaging than just checking little policy boxes like in the last game. Um, I think it really reflects your play style a lot better than in previous games. And, you know, again, yeah. like I said, it's it's not just another checkbox. That system is fine. It's almost like a talent point system. Like if you're if you play World of Warcraft or anything like that, you're always just checking extra boxes and and putting points here or there. It started to feel a little bit monotonous in Civ Five, especially after like six years of playing with that same style. Yeah. Um, so this new civics tree is very very interesting to me. I'd actually like to. Um, maybe kind of couch this conversation um, for one of our next podcasts, because I, I have a lot of thoughts on the uh, the civic stream. Maybe we do that. Maybe instead of jumping, oh, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure out a good way to do this, but I'd like to do a deep dive into the civics tree and the two yep. of us get our thoughts on that. Um, yep. But just for the essence and uh, sake of time this week, Dan, I would, uh, I'd like to say that in a second, we should do your historical minute. I do, um, mm-hmm. while we, while we do that in a sec, I want to plug the mod of the week here for everyone, um, just because we were talking about trade and all this sort of stuff. This week, I'm recommending everyone go check out the Better Trade screen. Um, if you go to civfanatics.com, there uh, is a link to download it. Installing mods in the game super, super easy right now. You're basically just moving a file into your um, your game's mod folder, which is located in like my documents. It's very, very, very simple. So uh, we'll tweet out a link to that. But Dan, if you are ready, how about you treat us to a historical minute? Absolutely. So this week's historical minute is going to focus on a guy who people probably don't know much about because his civilization and his nation isn't one that a lot of people in Western society focus a lot of historical study on. And nonetheless, he is one of the most fascinating and one of the most fantastic leaders of the, you know, the, the modern era. And this is Pedro II of Brazil. Now, 
we remember Pedro in Civ Five. He looked a little older. He looked a little grayer. In this Civ, they've given him a bit more of a a youthful exuberance. He's he's no longer got the white hair. He's got the brown hair, and he's a friendly guy decked out in his complete Brazilian orders. But I wonder if you knew this little tidbit from Civilization Five. In Civ Five, Portugal was a playable Civ. Portugal's leader was a lady named Maria the First. Now, Maria I is actually the grandmother of Pedro II, who uh, was also in Civ V. So in those situations <laughs> where you might be at war between, say, Portugal and Brazil, you are actually initiating a family conflict. You are making a grandmother fight her, grand, her beloved grandson. And, uh, you know, it's it, Pedro as an actual leader is, is a fascinating guy. Um, he rose to the throne very early um, in Brazil. Uh, he was the age of 12 when he came to the throne. Uh, they decided not to give him a regency council like so many countries decide to do because they just saw him as such a mature guy. Um, he was an outstanding leader who was beloved by his people. Um, he oversaw the uh, abolition of uh, slavery in Brazil, although that came later on in his rule. He also did a very, you know, Peter the Great-esque grand embassy of Europe and Africa and North America. There's some fantastic pictures I've found this week of him hanging out with some um, American folks at Niagara Falls, on the edge of Niagara Falls. And it's <laughs> one of those old Deguero type pictures. So it's really cool because he's in his paraphernalia completely decked out. And then you've got these, these American gentlemen and just, you know, kind of plain suits and hats or whatever, sitting there in that Deguero type, yellowish, orangish, brownish kind of photo overlooking Niagara Falls. So it's, it's really cool. Um, but at the end of his reign, Pedro II was ostensibly um, kicked out of office by a, a very small group within the military that uh, instigated a coup d'etat because they were seeking a republic. By this time, though, Pedro was a very astute leader. He, um, he basically just allowed it to happen. He decided that he was tired of ruling. He wanted to live out the end of his life in a state of kind of um, distance, I guess, from the crown. But he was so beloved by the people that um, these Republican uh, leaders, these military guys, shortly after they kicked him out, kind of circled back to him and said, you know, Father, we, we realize that you are um, you are Brazil. You are the father of our modern country, and we need you to kind of come back and rule. But by this point, he was very sick. Um, he'd spent a lot of time in his last years over in Europe getting medical treatment in um, France and in Italy for various, uh, for various issues. And then when he died, there was great mourning in Brazil, uh, kind of like regretful mourning because people realized that they had not maybe appreciated what they had. They had not treated him well in his last years. And so as a result, he is very much looked at as um, the father of modern Brazil and as a man, you know, a, a man who's greatly appreciated and a man of great conviction um, and a man of great leadership in that country. And a guy who in doing my research on him this week, I grew a lot of respect for. Um, so fascinating leader, a guy who I would encourage you to read up on and a guy who, um, was really, a, a, a very modern monarch in an era where, uh, monarchies were coming under siege. 
Well, thank you for that, Dan. That's awesome. Um, Brazil has some really cool history. Uh, I'm reminded of a, a, I think one of the last course history courses I took in college was a, um, like a South America history class. It was actually very, very good. I very much enjoyed it. Um, but even from like the founding of Brazil, um, and you might know these names better than I, or maybe not, I don't know. But uh, there, there was the, the king that, I think he someone went from Portugal and like just took the crown basically to Brazil at one point. Isn't there a story about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I, Is that related? I don't know. I mean, his ancestors, his, his father, Pedro, the first kind of your, your first kind of strong man, Brazilian King. Um, and, you know, he married someone from uh, his wife was uh, the daughter of the Holy Roman emperor and stuff, but I don't, I, you might be referring to Brazil, uh, to Pedro the first, uh, but I'm not sure. I, I'm I'll not have sure. to check my historical facts. I just, um, yeah. th- that's a country that always uh, very much interests me, um, which surprises me because I'm not a huge South America buff, but uh, Brazil has always had something about them, something very interesting, and I really am enjoying them in the game. So, Dan, thank you again for that historical minute. And that leaves us uh, basically just enough time to give you guys our little outro spiel, as always. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of CivCast. It is thanks to listeners like you that we keep putting on this awesome show. I know I'm having a blast. And Dan, thank you so much for, for joining us on these. You're always bringing us the best ideas and we're constantly working to expand so um, again from earlier in the episode if you want to check out our patreon that is patreon.com backslash civcast you can find us over on twitter that is at civ underscore cast we're always trying to to push out some content there uh dan if you have some of those cool pictures that you were just talking about uh in reference to brazil maybe we can tweet some of those out this week so our listeners can see that awesome content for sure If you have any feedback for the show, our email address is civcastpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to get some more five-star reviews up on iTunes. So if you have a minute, uh, just a spare couple seconds of your day, if you could hop over to um, iTunes, go to Civcast and give us a five-star shout-out or a five-star review, and we will give you a shout-out on the show. Uh, Let's see. Up next, on next week's episode, that's December 4th, we've got... um, our, our, our friend uh, Innocentia69 coming on to talk about all things min-maxing. So if you have any of those questions, uh, remember that civcastpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us, uh, send us some questions and we'll make sure to ask. I think that that is about it in terms of stuff. Oh, Dan and I can also be found on Twitter. I am Kyle Dempster7. Dan is Dan the Max. Uh, that'll pretty much do it we're gonna work on this uh reddit going forward that's probably gonna be one of our next uh new projects so i should probably tell you what that actually is uh that is gonna be oh you know what let me make sure i'm telling you the right thing reddit.com it, it is uh r backslash civcast so it's nice and simple you can just search civcast and you will find us um feel free to share some articles that you think people would be interested in hearing about it's definitely going to be a community thing so it's up to you guys to help us keep it alive keep sharing some cool things and if you want to put stories in there it is very likely that we will talk about them on the show so that is a great um a great place to kind of to give us some next talking points and things you want us to talk about so dan anything else you need to add for this week 
Two things. One, uh, don't forget our Steam group. Our Steam group is Civcast. Come and join it. Um, you'll see the Civcast Challenge uh, leaderboard on there with Doug's name and Ricky's name. And hopefully this week, if I'm actually able to pull it off, my name. But <laughs> God knows I'm having a hell of a time with that. Um, and the second thing is our Civ of the Week for next week. Kyle, I think I'm just going to make a spontaneous Do executive it. decision here. Japan. Japan. Ooh, I like it. I, I need yeah. this is a reason to go to the modern informational era. I need those uh, electronic facilities or whatever they're calling them. Yeah, the I actually haven't. Something. I haven't. I haven't touched Japan. I haven't. I don't even think I played a single minute of them in Civ Five. I was just looking at them right now on the Civ. They look interesting. They look fascinating, and they're actually on the very bottom rung of that uh, tier list ladder that I looked at last week. So we could talk about whether or not we think that's justified after we do a playthrough of them this week. I love it. Okay, everyone. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Next week, we are going to do our deep dive on Japan. So if you haven't played them yet, maybe this is the week to do it. Do that. uh, Play in the Civcast Challenge. Remember, the hashtag for that is very easy. It is hashtag Civcast Challenge. So no thought on your part uh just go ahead and use that tag that with any uh posts you want to do we'd love to see some updates for it too so even if you haven't completed it but want to share some updates um go ahead and tweet them at us use that hashtag and we would love to share them but that is going to do it for us this week so everyone until next week just one more turn You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.